Hi, Cherise here with a special announcement. You can now enjoy select episodes of Detailed in video form. That's right. Detailed is now available on RCAT's YouTube channel. Now, you may be thinking, I already listened to the podcast. No need to watch it on YouTube. Well, trust me, if you don't want to miss out, even if you're an avid listener of the podcast, the video format is a completely different experience. Not only is it like hanging out with us, but you also get to hear parts of the conversation that were left on the cutting room floor. You can also see the photos, drawings, and video as we discuss the incredible projects that are featured. Come join us on YouTube. Follow the link in our show notes, and let's get into the details. This is an original podcast by RCAT. Try the number one most used website for finding building product information and save time and money. No registration is required with RCAT, so try it today and get ahead on your next project. Visit RCAT.com. That's A-R-C-A-T dot com. Visit RCAT.com forward slash podcast to see photos, details, and more related project and product information that we discussed today. This is Detailed, an original podcast by RCAT. I am your host, Sharice Lakeside, Senior Specification Writer at RDH Building Science and fondly known as the CSI Kraken. We will speak with professionals who share their insights into the most complex, interesting, and odd building conditions and the ingenuity it took to make it work. Join me as I pull back the curtain on the building industry and uncover the lessons learned. You'll gain valuable knowledge to help you better navigate your next project. Welcome to Detailed. I have to admit, I get extra excited when I get to talk to industry professionals on the contracting side. Let's face it, at the end of the day, they are the ones that have to get it built. I am thrilled to welcome today my guest, Mr. Steve Clem, Senior Vice President Project Planning at Skanska USA Building. Steve has been in the construction industry for 25 years, all of them with Skanska. Wow, that's impressive. He spent the first eight years of his career running projects across many market sectors. He started working in pre-construction in 2005 and now leads efforts in both Oregon and Arizona. He supports mass timber projects and pursuits nationwide, which meshes well with his other role as the lead for sustainability in the U.S. The project we are going to chat about today is TCOR in Portland, Oregon. TCOR stands for the Terminal Core Project, which is a joint venture between Hoffman and Skanska for the Port of Portland. The project is a complete reimagining of the main terminal building at the Portland Airport, including comprehensive changes to ticketing, security, and concessions. PDX sees about 20 million travelers per year and is only closed for a few overnight hours, so a prefabrication plan was a definite key to success. I was fortunate to see part of a presentation on the PDX terminal roof a nine-acre wooden roof that will cover the airport's expanded main terminal at a recent Portland CSI meeting, which led me to very nicely ask Steve if he would consider joining us on Detailed and tell us all about this incredible project. Seriously, go Google it. 
that roof will blow your mind. Steve, welcome to Detail. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy day to join me to talk about this project. How are you today? I'm doing great, Cerise. It's just an honor to be here. I'm excited about the conversation. It's an honor to have you. I have to admit that when you came and spoke at Portland CSI, which I missed pieces of that, that was our first time trying a hybrid meeting, Mm -hmm. and there were sound issues, so I missed chunks of it. But what I heard, I was like, oh, dude doesn't even know there's a target on his back. I am calling him about the podcast because <laughs> it's such yeah. a fascinating project. It is. So just to warm things up a little bit, I like to start with an icebreaker question. Contractors are the ones that really know everything. Every discipline likes to think they're the ones that know everything, but contractors are really the ones that know everything. So I would like to know what is the best piece of career advice you have ever been given? <laughs> well, I, you hear the word general contractor, and you can either think that as general, you know, here, we're here d- day before Veterans Day, and, you know, the general is in charge and command and just gives orders. And then you've got the, the general contractor who just kind of generally knows what's going on. <laughs> and I think, <laughs> uh, you know, I think that's, that's the beauty of being a, a general contractor is that we're very much, you know, and this is what I was told, you know, right when I started was that, you know, you don't, don't need to know the exact specifics about everything, but you need to know who to talk to on your project and the relationships matter uh, and to develop those relationships so that you have resources, you know, because it, my job is to synthesize all of that. And then, like you said, try to act like I know it all, but Deep down, uh, I just have a general idea of what's going on. <laughs> Not too horribly different from being a spec writer. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no spec writer that can know everything about every product. Right. That's made, it just doesn't happen. We're really good at finding the information and asking the right questions and knowing the relationships of the contract. I totally, totally get that. So I happen to live here in Portland for our listeners, um, and this project is in Portland. And so I know, and have also seen at least part of a presentation about what's going on there, and I've also flown in and out of Portland Airport recently, so I've seen some of it. I know how impressive this is. I know how complicated it is. Give our listeners just kind of a rundown on the background, the history, the goals, the aspirations. You know, the Port of Portland is is the owner of the airport here in Portland. And they probably 10 years ago, at least now, launched a an effort that they're calling PDX Next. And PDX is the airport code for Portland here. Uh, it's also shorthand for Portland. We use it all the time. And the idea there was to prepare the airport for a whole new generation of traveling. You know, I, I don't know exactly how many years in the future, but I would imagine 20, 25 years at least. You know, the airport sees about 20 million passengers a year. It's number one in the nation from a traveler's perspective. It's been rated that, you know, year over year over year. And, you know, when we got involved in the project, there was not pressure, but a lot of emphasis put on that. That's something that they're really proud of and they want to maintain that. You know, they wanted to create a gateway, an entryway into the region. Portland is a is a major international hub. There's, you know, deep water ports. There's a lot of agriculture, there's, you know, there's all sorts of um, reasons people come to Portland. So they wanted something that 
that was like when you landed you felt you were in Oregon you were in Portland and so there was this idea of being part of nature biophilia being in the tree canopy a lot of these things that people associate with Oregon and so they hired ZGF architects here in Portland uh, that has done much of the work at the airport for many many years and they came up with this roof idea that is actually you know it's a little bit of a spoof on the movie don't look up the motto for the airport right now is look up because they want folks to you know when this is complete really not look at their shoelaces but look up at the the amazing roof when it's done um, the goal is to improve the whole passenger experience in the terminal core, like where you go and check in. And they want to improve the ticketing process, the security process, you know, going through the TSA, and then also the shopping experience, because, you know, I don't know if people are like me, but I, I loved the Oregon marketplace there where I could go to the Nike store or the bookstore, but I was always afraid of what I was going to buy might not make it through security. And I think a lot of people had that anxiety as well. So they're moving uh, 90% plus of the retail behind security. So you don't have to worry about getting through security. The port is a huge sustainability advocate. And so uh, there's a lot of emphasis in the project on sustainability, embodied carbon, uh, but also you know equity related components in that with making sure that local businesses are used. Uh, when we talk about the wood, which we'll talk a lot about today, that that's sourced from a whole bunch of different sources small family-owned forests, tribally-owned forests, public lands, that kind of thing. You know, and you, you said it, it's a big project. It's a huge project. And our contract value starts with a B, as in big. And uh, <laughs> it's so big that, uh, you know, we, we're partnered uh, with another general contractor here in town. And so we're Hoffman Skanska JV. And I really like to give a shout out to that team. I mean, I represent them here on this call as a very, very small player, but the team has come together amazingly. The joint venture is out there day in, day out. Right now, the roof is actually in progress. And so we have crews there during the day and crews there during the night, 24 hours a day that are absolutely crushing it. And uh, it's just, you know, it's a, it's a privilege to be here speaking on their behalf and knowing that you know, the joint venture, the design team, their sub-consultants and the port have all been very visionary in making this happen. So before we get into really good details, give me some of the stats, because I saw something about acres mm-hmm. on, on this roof. I think I even said it in the intro, and I don't remember how many it was, but how about some of the stats? Because this is massive. Yeah, it's huge. The airport itself is kind of shaped like an H in the middle of the H is where the terminal core building is. Uh, Right now, that building is about 150 feet deep from where you like get out of your car when someone drops you off or you get out of your Uber, the backside. And the plan and the process right now is to double that depth to 300 feet. And then it's more than a thousand feet long in the other direction. So we're putting a roof, a single roof over that entire space. So that's about 400,000 square feet just around nine acres. For the listeners in Portland, we have our famous 200 by 200 city blocks here in Portland. So that's about nine city blocks completely covered with one roof. It has about 2 million board feet of lumber in it. And that board foot, it's a football field, 11 feet deep with wood. 
So that's how much wood is in the roof structure itself. Because of some other technical challenges we're going to talk about, it's built uh, about three quarters of a mile from where it's going to be. So we, we built a million square foot fab yard over off of uh, Marine Drive, where we're building the roof in three big pieces. And then we're disassembling it and moving it across the airfield and the campus and, and putting it in place. So that's another thing. And it's huge. It's, it's so big that, you know, you can see it from space. No, you can't actually. You, you can't see it from space. But you can see it from your plane when you land and take off. And, and I would encourage you to look out the window because over the next few years, you'll see either portions of it erected in place or you'll see portions of it still out in the fab yard waiting for their turn. Talk to me about this roof, and, and, and you've alluded to it already a little bit, that you're building it in a different spot, mm-hmm. apparently somehow moving it, <laughs> and putting it up there, partially built, or building it, disassembling it, and then what, rebuilding it at the site? Okay, get, yeah. get yeah. let's get our hands dirty. Tell okay. me about this All roof. Right. All right, yeah. So why would we do such a thing? I think let's start there, because... So I mentioned the 20 million people that go through the airport. And so those 20 million people go through the airport and they go through the airport most of the day, right? Um, There's only a small window of time, maybe from midnight to 4 a.m. that there's no flights. And I've slept over in an airport, so I know it's it's not empty. And so in order to build a roof over an occupied space, which is what we're doing, there are certain safety protocols that we would need to put into place. And, you know, we could only work during certain hours or we'd have to close certain areas down. And then in order to get permits to have cranes that are going to be uh, in the way of airplanes and all these things, there's, it's, it's very difficult to be productive at all. And so early on, you know, the team decided that we need to use prefabrication, put pieces together, be able to put them in place over the airport uh, and then turn the airport back over as quickly as possible every day so that the passengers don't even know that anything's going on. You know, even then, as we erect the roof every night, the city of Portland has an on-site inspector who the entire airport essentially becomes a construction site for the night. And then every morning, the project gets a temporary certificate of occupancy. So every morning. Yeah, <laughs> every single day? Every single day. Yeah. Oh, my God. And so, you know, we, we do on the construction projects, we just, you know, we have a party when we get one TCO because it's been two years in the making and here we have to do one every day. And so the team out there just has to have contingency plans after contingency plans because every morning, you know, the, the airport has to open. So you've got this big roof and it needs to be seismically separate from the rest of the building. The airport was built over generations, uh, you know, the first airport buildings are from the 50s out there. Some of them are on wooden piling foundations. You know, the water table is super high. We have uh, high seismic zones and and we have risk of liquefaction and all these things. And so it wasn't as easy as just beefing up the existing structure and putting a new roof over it. The decision was was made from an engineering and cost and impact by KPFF and, and ZGF to create a, a roof that was seismically uh, separate from the whole structure. So the, the roof needed to sit on its own columns that had their own foundations and then be able to move in almost two feet in any direction. And so 
The roof itself is nine acres, but it only sits on 24 columns. These are called mega columns because they're, they're big. And <laughs> they, uh, that was a whole feat in itself. These columns, if you know about the airport, you've got what they call the M planning level where you get on the plane, the D planning level where you get off the plane. They've got all the guts of the airport. There's baggage handling and you know all sorts of communication. And then the Portland airport had a mezzanine level where they had offices and conference rooms. And so when you drop a column down through all of that, there's a ton of pre-work that needs to happen in order to move things out of the way, to get down into the bowels of the building and, and build the foundations just so you can set these 24 columns. The columns that were outside of the building that were the, where the building, the footprint is expanding, those were fairly straightforward, but they're still giant steel columns that Y at the top and the two tips of the Y are about 25 feet apart. And once they're in place, they're pressure grouted with concrete. And so it's a, you know, it's a massive thing. And then on top of those Y columns sits a girder system. So there's a six foot deep plate girder on tops of each of the Y. And that forms a frame for the whole roof. And then between all those girders, which is 80 feet, it's completely formed by uh, glue laminated beams. And so these, these glue lambs are 80 feet long and they curve in some places 12 to 16 feet. So, you know, there are some that are flat and then they get progressively deeper curve and then they shallow out again, and uh, it forms this really beautiful, undulating look that mimics some of the waves and ocean that we are fortunate to have here in the Northwest. So those, be you know, those beams are each one of them is made in a in a press, and each one of them had to be laid up in a in a giant jig and a press and pressed and glued and clamped, uh, and then they are big enough to where shipping them is difficult because standing them up they're too tall to go under the overpass laying them down they're too wide to go without a pilot car so a few of them had to get special provisions nighttime travel and, and all that kind of thing so that's the main sort of skeleton of the roof and then it's covered uh, with another mass timber product called mass plywood mass plywood is relatively new it's actually invented and and made here in oregon Oregon State and Frere's Lumber down in Lyons, Oregon, invested in this super plywood, we'll call it that. Basically, you take regular one-inch plywood sheets, and then you lay them up together to form a bigger panel that's been completely engineered, and you can use it for floor panels, wall panels, and in the case of the airport, we're using two and a half inch panels as the roof decking. So it's a it's a locally sourced product. Some of the material comes from trees that were burned in some of these tragic forest fires, and there's enough salvageable wood that you, that you can make panels out of them. You couldn't make dimensional lumber out of them, but you can make panels out of them. And so that's kind of what we're doing. When I, I saw the mass plywood, and I think you might have even used an acronym for it, MPP or something that's right. like that. Yep. yep. I saw that when I was reading through the notes. And I'm a spec writer, so I've kind of heard of most things. Mm -hmm. I had no idea what you were talking about, so yeah. I, yeah. I went and I went and did some some research to find out what it was. But it's great that it's local too, because that's a lot more sustainable. Yeah, I went down there and took a tour of the plant and uh, got a really amazing education from Tyler uh, Tyler Frears, and uh, 
you know, it's funny because I, I kind of thought, you know, lumber is lumber and I didn't really make too much of a differentiation between a two by four and a piece of plywood. And, and so I was, I was set straight really quickly by Tyler, you know, he's, he, I think his quote was something like any dummy can make square things out of round things, but it takes a, a really smart person to make plywood panels. And so, uh, so I've, I've always remembered that. And, uh, it is fascinating because you can take the plywood and they can, they use a computer to sort the different sheets of veneers based on the knots and everything. There's a computer that takes a picture of the knots and then it says, okay, which is the biggest knot? And then it grades them. And so then they make these different strength panels. And then just like a, like an I-beam, you know, like a steel wide flange, right? you can have a super strong top part and a super strong bottom part. And then the middle panels, they can be less stringent on their strength requirements. You're kind of making this sandwich panel that has a compression and tension component. It's like a built up beam that's made out of, out of wood. And it's pretty amazing. What kind of weight is involved on this roof? The overall weight is about 18 million pounds. Million? Uh, yeah, 18 million pounds. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there are different segments of the roof. Yeah, I, I, I think we'll, t we'll talk a little bit about how we move it. But yeah, it's, it's uh, extraordinarily heavy. But, you know, you think about the difference between a steel roof and a wood roof. There is a, a six or seven X difference if it was made out of all steel. You know, steel is obviously much denser. Wood is 35, 40 pounds a cubic foot. And, and steel is several hundred pounds per cubic foot. And so it's a big difference. And that played a part in it because of the weight and the, you know, all the forces that were required on the, on the mega columns. But the primary driver behind the wood selection was sustainability and, and the carbon story. And we're Oregon. Yeah, that's right. I'm sitting here thinking, you can't do a steel roof in Oregon. When, yeah. And this, is, this thing is so beautiful. From what I've seen from the renderings and pictures, it's going to be completely stunning. And we, we need to stay number one in the airport. You may not be getting pressure from them, but you're now getting pressure from me. We need <laughs> to right. Do you know how many pictures there are of my toes on that airport carpet? More That's... than you want to know. Did you know that if you take a picture of your feet on the airport carpet and tweet about it and tag the airport carpet Twitter account? Mm -hmm. Yes, I have one. The airport carpet will insult your feet. Yeah, you know... <laughs> Ever since I saw the carpet as the grand marshal of the Starlight Parade a few years back, I, you know, I've had it out for him. But uh, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it's <laughs> well, a you, it's a strange phenomenon. Let me tell you. If you want, you want on Twitter that you need to get a pedicure or you have hairy toes or yeah. something like that. Just tweet your feet and tag the Portland carpet. <laughs> We're a little crazy in this state. If anybody listening hasn't figured that out. So let's talk about the complexities of this project, because I am guessing we could have three shows on the complexities of this project. So what have been the most complex things and, and how are you making those happen? Yeah, a lot of construction projects are complicated and that's one of the reasons I, I like it so much. And I know that the people that work around me and on our projects also like, I mean, it's a chance to be creative. We see challenges as you know, opportunities, we you know, jump at chances to be part of, you know, the project of a lifetime and get innovative about how we approach things. And so this project has that in spades. 
and it's just an opportunity to to do that even more. I was talking about the mass plywood, and if the listeners are picturing this roof that's got all these rolling hills in it, and you're thinking about, okay, I'm going to take this two and a half inch plywood and I'm going to screw it down on there. I, I try to explain it like, have you ever tried to gift wrap a football without wrinkling the paper <laughs> and uh, finally just give up and make a big candy wrapper out of it? So we had that same challenge here. How do you take a flat piece of wood and make it curve in two directions? And the answer was to CNC, you know, computer controlled machine each piece uh, so that all these different shapes, trapezoids and, and other strange geometries, so that as we forced it down at fastening it down, it came together in a, in a giant puzzle that fit over the entire thing without, you know, without wrinkling uh, or without buckling and without, you know, strange gaps and bumps in it. Um, so that was, that was difficult. The, the lattice, which is what we call the three by six pieces that are underneath the roof, that also had a unique geometry. And so, you know, they wanted to look continuous over these giant curves. And so those pieces had to come together smoothly. And so the ends of those are all uniquely cut and labeled. Thousands and thousands of those pieces that, that go together, each in a unique spot. I mentioned moving the whole thing. Typically, we don't move things we build. We build them where they're supposed to go. We, we've, we've learned that that's the most effective way to put it in the right... I, I, <laughs> I have built something in the wrong spot once, so yeah, it it was uh, it was a bridge that we were building between two buildings, and it was a little bit off. So you don't want to do that. You want to build something once, but in this case, because we were prefabricating and we had to build it in place on the other side of the site, there was this additional challenge of moving it. And the moving part is something that you know is, is well known. But any stresses that were introduced to the pieces that was temporary, right? Like. There, there are, there's bracing and there's things that are like pressure gauges and surveying and all these things that had to happen in order to make sure that, you know, by the time we disassembled the piece, drove it three quarters of a mile and pushed it into place, that it was still square and plumb and true and, um, and it hadn't racked. And so that was obviously a, a challenge. And then another benefit of doing this project in the prefab way was that when we were building it out in the fab yard, it's, it's only, 13 to 15 feet above the ground. And so there's access available with lifts and, and other types of, of scaffolding. And it's, you know, when it's in its final position, it's some 70, 80 feet in the air. So to get up to that ceiling in that condition and to do any work up there is challenging and dangerous. And so we tried to do as much as possible when it was down lower, which involved acoustic panels on the ceil underside of the ceiling, uh, underside of the roof to keep the noise levels in the terminal at a comfortable level, hanging fixture wires down through the lattice and miss the lattice and miss the acoustic panels. We put sprinkler pipe so that we could just connect it once it gets in its final position, because also for quite a while, the roof is going to be above another operating space. And so there's this really this giant interstitial that needs to be protected. You know, and then it, because the roof was complete, it has a membrane on it, skylights in it. It's not just going to shed water, you know, all over the place. It's going to direct it right to the drains where it's supposed to go. And, and so we needed to uh, have a, a drainage plan, you know, connect the drains temporarily because otherwise, you know, the water was going to 
go where it wants to go. And so um, the other part is part of the roof process has to wait a couple of years because of the sequencing of the project. There's these areas in the, in the airport called the nodes. It's kind of where you come through security now and you look up and there's this big skylight area. The peaks of those skylights are actually above the elevation of where the final roof is going to go. And so we're waiting to put those parts on until, until we can accomplish some other preliminary work. And so as a result, some of these prefab parts of the roof are going to be sitting out you know, on the tarmac for two years. And so there's been a lot of thought put into, we want to make sure the wood and the, all the finishes, they look the same as the part that's been in the building for two years. And we don't want any birds living in there, you know, right? because birds and airplanes don't get along. And so there's all these things that we had had to do to, to accommodate for that. So yeah, lots of, lots of challenges, but again, the team has been really amazing and they've thought of so many ways to overcome any challenges and, and, and more than overcome, I mean, just come up with things that are innovative and, and first of a kind. So, you know, we, as esti- I'm, a, I'm an estimator, you know, during the day mostly, and, you know, it's like, okay, what, what project do we have to compare this to? And yeah, we don't, we, we don't have any projects to compare this to. Seriously, I am so glad I didn't have to write the specs for this project. As you can tell, the T-Core project is a massive and complex project. In fact, it's so massive, this will be our very first two-part episode. Join us again next week for part two, where Steve highlights the transitions and connections between roof sections and receives a surprising challenge to think bigger. Conventionalism would say, drive it low and then lift it, right? Don't put it high and then drive around with it, but we don't have enough time over at the terminal every night to do that. So we lift it to its permanent spot. It's the white lightning is, is just the, is a grease that they used and like everything, we had to test all these things. And it just made the, the whole thing slide. Wanted to make sure that the weight and the friction wouldn't, you know, cause it to get gummy or, or sticky or, and then, you know, of course, after that, you had to figure out how to get up there and clean it all off. You know, I thought that, you know, some of our original plans were pretty, pretty audacious. So that was a surprise to me. It was like, you're not thinking big enough. You know, then we hired these experts that move heavy equipment or heavy objects because they have done things like put the concrete dome on top of Chernobyl. Oh, wow. And of course, you have to come back to listen to part two so you can hear Steve's world domination statement. There are so many lessons to share. Make sure to come back for part two to continue the rest of this fascinating story. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and want to learn more, visit rcat.com forward slash podcast to see photos, details, and more related project and product information that we discussed today. While you're there, take a look around rcat.com. For over 30 years, RCAT has been the resource for AEC professionals to find the right products for their project. Try RCAT and see how their tools can save you time and money and help you get ahead on your next project. Visit rcat.com. That's A-R-C-A-T dot If you enjoyed the show, you can support us by subscribing, leaving a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, and sharing this with your friends. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back to share more stories and lessons learned to help you navigate your next project.